spending the rest of our spring and, and some of the summer in this a great letter written by Paul to um, probably, most likely, a large number of communities um, in Asia Minor, what is modern-day uh, Turkey, so not just those in Ephesus, but those around Ephesus as well. And we found last week that he has a great deal to say to us about the great love of God and our response of love to the love that we have been shown. So join me now in Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 3 to 14 for us. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to the purpose which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who was the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Father, what a lot of words. They are beautiful, they are powerful uh, words, but no doubt many of us are swimming after reading that. There is so much here, uh, but often we stand uh, before it confused and, and wondering what this means, what this says about our lives. And so we ask that you would help us this morning. Yes, would you give us some clarity, some understanding, but more than that, would you give us the humility to sit under these words and know that they are from you and they are good gifts for us. They are words of life. Help us to receive them and by your spirit be changed by them. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul begins uh, this great letter with a eulogy. That's that word that begins there in verse 3. It's the Greek word that we get our word eulogy from, to honor someone, to celebrate them. We associate eulogies with funerals. But I think Paul's speech here in Ephesians 1 is a little bit closer uh, to another eulogizing tradition that we have in our culture. 
It's a little bit closer to the induction speeches to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You heard some of those where one musician will speak and celebrate the life and the work of another musician. And at the end of that speech, everyone stands and cheers. I think that's what Paul wants at the end of verse 14. For us to stand and cheer. Here he celebrates God as an invitation to us. To join that celebration. But here's my problem with that. Here's my problem with that. I know I shouldn't disagree with Paul, him being an apostle and all of that. But this passage makes me wonder. It's a head scratcher for me. Because Paul is writing to some very fragile communities. The Christian movement, the endurance of the Christian movement, is by no means a certain thing. The endurance of these people's faith is by no means a certain thing. And so Paul writes this letter with a call to them and to us to unity in the face of great differences and to strength in the face of great opposition. Unity... And strength, that is the core of his call to these believers and to us today. And so I would expect him, I would want him to maybe begin with some team building exercises. Or some group dynamics. Or maybe at least a clear statement, if we are in a fight, at least a clear statement of strategy and tactics. But that's not what he does. Instead, at the beginning of this letter, the apostle sings. And understand that this passage is more poetry than prose. He sings. And then he invites us to join him. Why would we do that? Why would we do that with all of the pressing issues that are in front of us as individuals, as a church, in our culture, in our world, with all of these very pressing and practical issues facing us, why would we waste our time in celebration? So impractical. So why should we join Paul's celebration? That's the question that I want to bring to this Passage, And I want us to find here two reasons. We should celebrate God because of what he is doing and because of how he does it. So God's work and God's method. First of all, we should celebrate God because of what he is doing. At the heart of this passage, at the heart of this book, is a mystery. Verse 9. And this mystery is not a whodunit. Who is always very, very clear here in this book. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has designed and is enacting a plan. A plan that embraces all the details of history. Who is not unclear? So this mystery is not a whodunit. 
It's a what done. If God is at work with a plan that embraces all of history, what is he up to? Verse 10 answers that question. This mystery is a plan for unity. It's a plan for unity. All things in heaven and on earth gathered and organized around Jesus. This mystery is a plan for unity and it is a plan that presupposes the problem of fragmentation. Sin has taken what should hold together and has broken it all apart. And we all experience that every day in our lives. The fragmentation of sin, fragmentation, alienation personally, relationally, culturally. And the beautiful mystery of God is that in Jesus he is taking all these broken things and he is creating wholeness. He is reuniting. He is reassembling all of creation under his rule, under his life-giving reign. If you go to a Tallahassee symphony concert sometime, at the beginning of that event, the musicians will all be on the stage. But the sound will be chaotic. It will be unorganized. Because they're all doing their own thing. They're warming up their instruments. What organizes the sound? What brings them together? The conductor. The conductor walks out on stage, ascends the podium, and lifts the baton. That's the mystery. That is the mystery that is unveiled in Jesus because in Jesus, God the conductor walks on the stage of history, ascends the podium, and all things, seen and unseen, are being harmonized. Under the baton of Jesus. All creation. Gathered. Organized. Renewed. Reassembled. Under his life giving reign. But that's not the ultimate purpose of this mystery. That's not the ultimate purpose of this mystery. There is a refrain that repeats Three times in Paul's song. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. Then shortened in verses 10 and 14. To the praise of his glory. The plan for unity. Is for the purpose of glory. Unity. For the purpose of glory. Whenever the Bible talks about glory, it speaks of a tangible and experienceable, if I can make up a word, a visual and audible demonstration of God's majesty. His excellence. So this mystery revealed in Christ, God intends it to be the sight's and sounds 
of His greatness. He's not only the conductor, He's also the composer. And so as this symphony of renewal resounds through the work of Jesus, it displays God's artistry. It is the sight and sound of His wisdom, of His power, and of His beauty. And so Paul says to us, look, listen, celebrate. To do that requires more than just knowledge about what God is accomplishing. It requires a surrender to what God is accomplishing. In other words, it requires the humility for us to say, it's not all about me. If there is anything that is clear from this text, it is that. This is not all about me. It is all to the praise of His glory. We have to be willing to surrender the baton and the byline to the divine composer We have to be willing to step off the podium, to step away from the composer's chair and surrender to his mystery. Surrender to the great beauty of what he is doing in Jesus. See, if you want control, you will not enjoy God. I'm going to say that again. If you want control, you will not enjoy God. If you want credit, you will not celebrate Him. To join in the delight of Paul here in Ephesians 1, we have to surrender control and credit. We have to step off the podium We have to step away from the composition and we have to surrender to the mystery of God's great glory being revealed. Now that is not something that we do easily. Surrendering control and credit? What? (laughs) No thanks. Not something that we do easily or naturally. And so, again, let me ask. If to celebrate God we have to surrender credit and control, why would we celebrate God? Why would we delight in Him? Why would we enjoy Him? Second reason. Not only what He's doing, but how He does it. His method. God accomplishes this glorious task by blessing us. Back to verse 3. Blessed be God who blesses us. And I want you to notice two aspects of this blessing from this text. First of all, this blessing from God, it is a gift of status. Verse Four, we become holy and blameless. Verse 5, we become adopted children of God. Verse 7, we become forgiven and redeemed. 
God blesses us not with the status of slaves under his judgment, which is what we deserve because of our sin. Instead, he blesses us with the status of liberated sons and daughters of God under his favor. And that status produces a possession. Second aspect of blessing. It is the gift not only of status, but of a possession. God blesses us with an inheritance. Word repeated several times throughout this text and throughout this letter. God gives us an inheritance. That's why Paul says sons. Because in the ancient world, in ancient Israel, sons were the primary recipients of the inheritance. We are given an inheritance. That's how God accomplishes his work. In the Old Testament, he promised his people the inheritance of a land. In the New Testament, that promise expands and includes the entirety of a new creation given to the people of God. We've already talked about the new creation. It's this reality of all things, things seen and unseen, all things in heaven and on earth harmonized under the baton of Christ. That is God's gift to us. It is our possession. It is our inheritance. He accomplishes this glorious work by blessing us with status and with a possession. But if that's true, if God accomplishes this work by blessing us, how do we say us? In other words, how do we get that blessing? How does it come into our lives? Well, it comes by way of prepositional phrases. Prepositional phrases, two vital ones in this text. In Christ, with the Spirit. You see, as God attaches us to Jesus by faith, what is Christ's becomes ours. As we are in Him, united to Him, connected to Him by faith, what belongs to Him becomes ours. So He is the beloved Son of God, eternally delighted in by the Father. And He came and He died and He rose for us. And as we believe in this work that He has done, what is His becomes ours. So we become sons and daughters of God, beloved, delighted in by the Father. And God gives to us not only His Son, but His Spirit who seals us. Verse 13. That is the mark of ownership. That is God's presence saying, these ones... They are mine. They belong to me. And this, then verse 14, the Holy Spirit becomes for us not only a mark of ownership, but a beginning. The down payment, the guarantee of this promised inheritance of a future new creation. God's blessing comes into our lives in Christ with the Holy Spirit. It's like this. You know those awkward social situations 
which is every social situation for me, but that's my issue. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about those particular social situations where the, there is a circle of people having a conversation. And it's a conversation that you'd like to be a part of. But you're not quite sure how to break into the circle. Should you sidle up and hover there uncomfortably until somebody notices it? Should you muscle your way in? The triune God and his plan for all of history, it is a conversation circle. But we don't have to break in. God has broken out. He has reached with his son and spirit and embraced us and brought us into this glorious conversation. There's good evidence that Paul borrows a good bit of his language and and his imagery here in this text from a scene in the life of Jesus. You remember when Jesus makes his cousin John baptize him? He comes out of the water and a voice rumbles from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then the dove, the sign of the Spirit, descends onto Jesus. What Paul says here allows us to imagine that scene and then see ourselves there. In the water with Jesus, God's voice saying about us, These are my beloved ones. These are my sons and daughters in whom I am well pleased and to whom I have given my own presence. That's why you should celebrate God. That's why you should enjoy Him. If he is the composer and the conductor, he does not leave us out in the audience. He reaches and he draws us on stage and makes us a part of the music. He plays this music of renewal, of redemption in your life. Because he has reached out in his son and his spirit. And he has brought you Will you let that overwhelm you? I've been overwhelmed this week, working on this text, reading it again and again, thinking, how do I package this in a sermon? How do I explain this? I mean, we're coming to the end here, and there's so many words I haven't talked about yet here. And then I came to the point where I realized, that's the point. You see, verses 3 to 14... They are one sentence in Greek. Terrible grammar. (laughs) Terrible grammar. Your English professor would be so unhappy with the Apostle Paul. But here's the point. He is saying language, grammar cannot contain this reality. This reality is so beautiful and so powerful that it breaks down our ability to speak coherently. And so let it overwhelm you. The point isn't isn't to try to grasp what Paul says. It is to be grasped by this mystery. By the beauty of God reaching out to you in his Son and Spirit. 
drawing you into his own life and mission. Will you let that overwhelm you? That's why you should surrender control and credit. Because God has made you a part of the music in Jesus and with His Spirit. So do you see the brilliant practicality of the Apostle Paul? Remember what he's calling us to? He is calling us to unity and strength, right? What better way of unifying and energizing people than music? All right, take take the analogy out of the concert hall and onto the dance floor. Paul is like a DJ laying down a beat. (laughs) A beat of profound delight in God. The only thing that will enable us To live a life to the praise of His glory. You will not live for the praise of God unless you are deeply overwhelmed by His beauty, by His power, by His wisdom. You won't live a life of glory to God until you are brought back to verse 3, overwhelmed and stammering, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So will you let this music seep into your bones and animate your life for God's glory? Let's pray.